visiting my daughter and I turned up where she worked and she just looked at me. She came up and gave me a hug and she said, what do I call you? <laughs> I said, call me Alana. We are surrounded by incredibly strong people. Their journeys, like us all, are full of resilience, persistence, inner strength, and an ability to gain perspective to make the best what is thrown our way. This is People Are Amazing, the podcast. My guest today is a 66-year-old ex-Army and Naval officer who very early on knew he was born into the wrong body with a condition we now know as body dysmorphia. After years of suppression, failed marriage, many attempted suicides, it was a heart attack that left him clinically dead for 10 minutes that he decided enough was enough. He was no longer going to pretend. This is Alana's story. I'm going to uh, start recording. Yeah, great. (laughs) For all your patience, thank you. And uh, (laughs) oh my goodness, I'm so glad that we finally get to talk properly and I can record all of your beautifulness and looking as glamorous as ever. So Alana, thank Thank you. you. So much for, uh, for, for, you know, allowing and being so brave in having this conversation with me. I found your story so incredibly inspiring. You're 67 now and you're glamorous as anything. You've had such a fulfilling life and growing up in an era where being gay, being not comfortable in yourself and trying to figure yourself out during those, especially in the 60s, must have been just torture. So I'm going to pass it over to you now. Firstly, tell me your name. Um, where do you currently live and what was your childhood like? Okay. Um, my name's Alana and I live in the UK. At the moment, I'm in Torquay, in Devon. And I was born in Fleetwood in Lancashire, near next to Blackpool. So up in the northwest. Um, I was the eldest of six children. And it was back then in the 50s, um, to be different was against the law. Homosexual act, um, people were going to prison, etc., etc. When I, I, I first started to feel different, when I was about four or five and started going to school. And I said to my parents that uh, you know, I, I'm, 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 sh- I'm sure, why have I got a willy? Why have I got a willy? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a girl, why, why have I got a <laughs> What was the response? Don't be a stupid boy. <laughs> Clack. <laughs> I was I was regularly beaten at at home. Um, at, at pre well, I went to school when I was four, four and a half, and I wanted to be the ballerina. I wanted to to dance, do cook, cooking, and that sort of thing. Boys don't do that. Whack. Corporal punishment was was quite regular. So over the years, I had to conform. I had to be 
macho and conform with society because being gay is against the law. You're not allowed to be gay. If you were gay, you were put into prison. So I'd prefer to do uh, singular sports, going running rather than football or cricket or I wanted to play netball. <laughs> but I wasn't allowed because I was a boy. Basically, I went through school at the top level and I was offered £8 a week to become a butcher's apprentice. So I left school, no qualifications, became a butcher's apprentice. And within six months, he went off to Australia. <laughs> and he lives in, or live, in Melbourne. So I was left there. What do I do? Well, I'm a man now. So I joined the Navy. <laughs> And so just um, taking <laughs> us back a little bit, because yeah. I'm really curious to understand as a four or five year old, you know, when you said you started to feel different and you were brave mm. enough to tell your mum, aside from, you know, looking down and realizing, why do I have a willy? Why do I feel so different? What was the conflicting feelings that you were going through as a four or five year old? And then, you know, when you went through puberty, all those changes that took place with you, your voice changing again, you know, growing all the manlier features that come through. Can you talk me through a little bit or educate me more so around what exactly were you feeling? How did it compute in your mind? Confusion, total confusion. I, I didn't know where I was, what I'm supposed to be, why I'm supposed to be, how I'm supposed to be in myself. I felt so conflicted and so confused and so upset. And when I tried to talk about it, I was, I was just beaten. And, you know, if you beat a dog enough, it'll just cower. And, and I think that's what, that's what happened with me. Although eternally, I still felt, wrong i wanted to express myself but but i couldn't and over the years you know because of that that pent-up uh, feeling suppression suppression that's it <laughs> that that's that suppressed sense of of being or not being that I started to become depressed and every so often I would go into a really manic state of depression and several times I tried to uh, to commit suicide because because I couldn't be me I couldn't be me how I felt what about friends? Did you confide in anyone that you felt you could trust to share your secret with during a time where homosexuality and, and your own identity was illegal? I, I tried to, and on a number of occasions it was, oh, you're a fag, you're gay, you're dead. And it sort of went round the school and I used to used to be hung on the railings 
regularly for being gay, you know, sort of arms across these six foot railings and legs pulled and dropped. You know, it was, I basically, I was bullied, homophobia. So I, I just had to bring it in, into myself and just sort of try and be macho. It was, it was really difficult. I bet. So being a butcher, you uh, left school because mm. the bullying by the sounds of it just got too much for you. Yeah. And, uh, earning your keep just made so much more sense and a bit more independence. So <laughs> I spent three weeks on the trawlers with my granddad. Never again. I said, never. I'm not going to see ever again. And within two years, I was back at sea in the Navy. I was a, I was a diver in the Navy. Um, and I was in the Navy for six years as a diver and went to various places, saw different things happening. Um, the Cod Wars in the 70s. Um, again, in the 70s, the fireman strike i was based up in glasgow i feel like um, this <laughs> in your life is um is a very exciting one that i definitely want to explore and i'm sorry to take you back a little bit more um yeah, yeah. so after you left school and you were a butcher and you spent mm-hmm. time trolling with your grandfather did you do anything to explore that sexuality did you have any encounters did you meet anyone that helped to kind of solidify how you felt and I guess give you that excitement around yes this is the path that I'm meant to be on no it was so so suppressed that until recently the last several years it's it's just been suppressed um not even with females not even with females my first wife recently when i after i came out my first wife she said if you'd have only said 40 odd years later <laughs> married for 40 years and so- no i was married i was married for for five five years to my first wife but the first couple of years, because I was in the forces, I was the first. The first year, I spent eleven months, two weeks, eleven months, three weeks away from her, and then it, yeah, it just went Pete Tong. Um, we had a daughter, and trying the macho thing. Uh, and um, had to suppress everything and that for 60 odd years it was all suppressed really and you know in one campaign little rubber boat little rubber suit 
going into a beach with a little black gun with five rounds of ammunition in it. And that, you know, that, that was my sort of existence for 60 odd years. That's terrible. <laughs> so that, that kind of gives me a bit of a flavor of what it was like, sort of the first 20 years of your life. You joined yeah. the Navy and you were a diver, as you mentioned before. What was that like? Tell me that part of your life. Uh, actually, at that time, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being the macho man, doing the, the diving and other things. Um, you know, the, the Cod Wars, Cyprus, Russia, uh, not Russia, the, um, the Baltic different different um different things and yeah i i enjoyed it but because of marriage child and navy the um i was due to get married on the 4th of july and we were still at sea on the 3rd of july and we came came ashore just before midnight at Weymouth or Portland. And I was getting married at two o'clock in the afternoon in Fleetwood in Lancashire. That's a 500 and something odd mile journey in less than 12 hours. And I, back then we had a milk train, got to the church, got married, went to the reception and there was a telegram saying congratulations on your wedding report back immediate we're on active duty and i said eh, eh. and 20 hours later i was arrested and then flown flown down to the bay of biscay and dropped onto the ship <laughs> i didn't see her again for eight months so that's why i left the navy <laughs> The first year of your marriage would have been uh, non-existent. Four days, I think, in the first year. (laughs) How did she feel about that? Uh, Not a happy bunny. (laughs) Yeah, she wasn't a happy bunny. How did you guys correspond while you were away? Letter. They were called blueies. Um, An airmail letter that we and that was it you, you would we would have one a week alana can i tell you i mean we've only been talking for 15 minutes now and you are so happy and so positive about telling your story and you know for our listeners i'm i'm speaking to alana through zoom and she's in this beautiful lace um boat neck top her shoulders are filled and she stood up for me for a little bit and gave me a little bit of, um, oh, lacy stockings and uh, a leather skirt. She is, it's 7.30 in the morning in the UK and she's doled up to the nines for me. <laughs> I feel so privileged to, to hear the story in hindsight for you because, um, you know, I've spoken to a number of guests and I feel as though because they've lived through it, they now mm. have a perspective to, to tell the story as if, it's a part of the history, but it doesn't really define them, which is what makes this so special. But I'm probing a little bit deeper because a lot of it is 
curiosity and I definitely want to lower that whole ignorance gate for everyone out there. Um, while you're in the Navy, and I'm saying this because stereotypically, there's been people who are a little bit more exploratory in terms of their sexuality on a ship filled with men. Um, and especially if you're going out to sea eight months at a time, things that you might be interested in or things in terms of intimacy and wanting to have that human companion comes up did that come up for you uh yeah but it wasn't on the ship it was a, a shore um i was on a shore base and my immediate manager chief petty officer he said oh i'm going away for the weekend um you fancy coming along for a have a pint and see what happens and da da da, da. yeah all right and uh Basically, back then it was illegal to be homosexual or bi, gay, trans, whatever, in the armed forces until nine, the late 90s. Anyway, we went, went away and ended up in a little caravan with not only the chief petty officer, but a warrant officer as well. And I was raped. I was 16, 17, but I found that, well, that was different. <laughs> um, and the trouble is I couldn't report it because he was my immediate manager and his manager. There would be court martials and prison, everything, even though I didn't do anything myself, really. I'd have been put in prison, so would they and then chucked out of the, the forces. So again, keep quiet, keep your head down and just get on with life. Again, that suppression. And that, it was like that. To tell you the truth, I did enjoy it. <laughs> I asked you when you said that was different. It sounded a bit positive. <laughs> so you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, that, and that was my first sexual experience. Up until then, I was a virgin. Up until my wedding, when I was 20, I was still a virgin, female-wise. But um, I had, in the intervening years, experimented, should I say. But one, once I was married, then it was a, a completely straight relationship because of the forces and being away for so long i decided that's it because i've got to save my marriage forces on marriage so i left the forces and within six months we were separated and going for a divorce because i couldn't settle down when you say you couldn't settle down, do you mean just with her or you were not ready to, I mean, we know you weren't meant to be in a female or a heterosexual relationship. What do you mean by not settling down? Work-wise, uh, housing, we had to go and live with her parents. Um, we had a young baby who was a couple of months old. 
everything sort of imploded. That was the first time that I tried to commit suicide. Took a, a broken bottle to my wrist um, because I was so depressed and it just went <laughs> and that that's the wife that turned around well ex-wife 40 odd years later who turned around and said if you'd only just said things would have been different uh, <laughs> but hindsight is a wonderful thing so i'd taken up i'd tried cutting my wrist and that didn't work so i took up skydiving and <laughs> left the aircraft with the full intention of not pulling the ripcord and that sudden rush of the earth coming up towards you and the survival instinct I ripped the ripcord right out of the housing and I was in within two seconds of hitting the ground <laughs> and you know and that I thought it's either that hit the ground pull the ripcord or just anyway i pulled the ripcord i survived the parachute opened landed broke both my legs there was an inquiry whatever anyway that was because of the depression because i was being forced into that male mode uh yeah I still had my legs in plaster, both legs. I thought, I can't do this anymore. I can't stay in Civvy Street. It's not, not for me. Divorced. Done different jobs, painting, decorating. So I thought, nothing for it. I'll have to join back up again. <laughs> I went into the Navy, Army, Air Force recruiting office, both legs in plaster, on crutches, and I said to the Navy, it, it was a killick, leading seaman, and I said, I want to join back up again. How long have you been out? Two years. How old are you? 23, 24. You're too old. I'm too old at 23, 24. So, so I went over to the, uh, the army recruiting sergeant and I said, I want to join up because I'm too old to join the Navy again. You've been in the forces before? Yeah, I was in the, I was in the Navy. All right. Who do you think you are, Captain America? Come back, come back when your plasters are off your leg. <laughs> so I did. A good sense of humour.
<laughs> you've got to. You know, you've been you've been that that close to the bottom. A lot of trans people, unfortunately, do kill themselves because they know they're trans, but they can't get the help. It's like a roller coaster, up and down, and until 2004 with the uh, European legislation being trans person was classed as a mental health issue you've got gender dysphoria you've got to see a psychiatrist until the mid-60s being bi gay trans was illegal and then it started to become, it's still, you still got a lot of um, hatred and, and whatever. But up until 2004, it was a mental health issue. But then Europe had a discussion and they moved it from the mental health to a social issue but the NHS in the UK still see it as a mental health issue so I'm mad <laughs> not only am I depressed but I've got a mental health issue because I've got gender dysphoria this is where change yeah. needs to take place People exactly. Like and now that there is a voice and a platform for, for people that fall into that LBGTQI arena, mm -hmm. they can come and talk about it because they know it's, you know, it's, it's been proven it's not a mental health issue. And the more you suppress it, the more it becomes a mental health issue. That's right. And, and as I say, you know, at the, at the moment, I'm talking to the local MP in Torbay and there are a lot of trans girls and men who are campaigning for the gender clinics is supposed to be 18 weeks from referral to appointment however my local gender clinic is to get your first appointment is 90 months 90 months and that's just for you to answer the questions which you've answered before take me back to your transformation mm. when did you decide what point in your life where were you how old were you and i know you're um it's never nice to reveal a, a lady's magic number <laughs> 66. I didn't want to say that loud again. Um, at 66, how old were you and at what point in your life or what were the circumstances surrounding the decision to finally make a change? <laughs> it was five and a half years ago. Yeah, five and a half years ago when I was... 60 and a bit a 
May bank holiday, Friday afternoon. I'd been to work uh, and thought I'd had indigestion. I worked all day, Friday afternoon, finished at five o'clock, came home, got changed, and I was feeling, oh, I don't feel right. And basically, at the end of the afternoon, within two hours of returning home after a day at work, I had a massive heart attack and died. <laughs> yeah. Um, fortunately, friend phoned the ambulance, 999, and they said, oh, it's four hours before we can get an ambulance to you. Only five minutes to the hospital. So I was thrown in the car, taken to the hospital through A&E, and I can remember, or I, I said to the surgeon the next day, that I explained what the nurses were doing around the theatre. I explained what he was doing and basically put a cannula into my vein. Um, and they were giving me compressions and oxygen and all the rest of it. And I'd flatlined 10 minutes, but I felt so at peace. I could see everything that was going on. I could, I could hear everything crystal clear, really crystal clear. And the next day I said, you know, nurse back there was doing this, nurse over there was doing that, nurse was doing, there was a nurse over there, there was a machine going around me. You were there behind a Perspex screen, sticking these, cannulas in there was a nurse over there passing you the equipment there was a nurse up there doing the computer and saying everything recording everything and he said during that time you were dead I said yeah the last thing I can remember is you saying charging clear and I was shouting, I'm still here, I'm still here. Bang, breathe your beep, 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 whatever it is. <laughs> and that's when I came back. And then the next, the next morning, 12 hours later, I was attached to all these machines and drips and morphine and everything else. And I woke up and my manager was at the end of the bed, half past seven in the morning, on a Saturday morning, bank holiday. I'm so sorry to hear about last night. Wasn't even, how are you feeling? What can we do for you? She looked at her watch and said, what time are you coming in? You're on duty today. Exactly. 
What were you doing then? What was your occupation then, five years ago? Social worker, and I still am a social worker. I'm still work. I'm I'm working as a locum now. Where is the humanity from your manager and the empathy? <laughs> so I told her where to go. <laughs> that Saturday morning at half past seven, I thought, you know what? Sixty odd years, I've been in the wrong body. Sixty odd years, I've suppressed my feelings. 60 odd years I've been living a lie. 60 odd years I've been empathic, altruistic, living for other people. I haven't lived for myself. And now, now, from when I get out of this hospital, I'm going to be me. I'm living for me now. And I am Alana, not Alan. I am Alana and I am female and I am me. And that's when I turned and took my real self, my real mantle on and started living. And it was fantastic. <laughs> I'm oh, just hearing this story is giving me goosebumps. It's fantastic. Yeah. You're here. Yeah. She's here, everyone. Yay. And, you, you know, yes, I've had troubles. I've had problems. But when I, when, when I first came out, I went back to work to give my notice in, dressed on farm, and said, I'm Alana, and you can, your job, not quite in so many words, but I was being pestered about going back to work, and I said, no, the consultant hasn't signed me off, I'm still on the sick, but the way you've treated me, no. They accepted my female persona and said, well done, congratulations, Dada. But they weren't happy about me giving me notice in. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I wore the wig, I dressed up, makeup, fake boobs, you know. But I was living as me, Alana. My parents actually told me before they passed that if I was a girl, I would have been called Alana. I was called Alan. When did you start going through the transformation? So you've gotten your breasts done, the augmentations done. Yeah. Did anything else happen to your body? I registered with the gender clinic and told that I'm on the waiting list. And that was in 2016. It's not 90 months, is it? <laughs> well, 2016, it's now 2000, coming up the end of 2020. And I'm not even on the waiting list for the waiting list. Oh dear. So let's talk <laughs> about love. Because I want to know now that you are here, 
and you are alone. Mm-hmm. How are you going about finding love? Yeah. You have someone in your life that's special. I have a few friends who are trans uh, or cross-dressers and you know, we party, enjoy life. I've got support groups in the trans community. I'm a member of three, four, four trans support groups. Sex, nice if it happens. Um, I've been fortunate because when I came out of the army, I was uh, given a war pension and that's been going into a endowment policy, private pension. So I've been able to go private for the transition. Did that include taking hormones or seeing a psychologist or psychiatrist to, to help you with yeah. the transition? It can take up to 10 years to go through the process. That would put me at 77. Fortunately, because I had the my forces pension, I've registered with a specialist, gender specialist, who went through the psychiatrist's psychology etc etc counseling and i'm on home estrogen hormones i was on that for two years and then i went to the nuffield private clinic and had breast augmentation and then on my birthday last year for my birthday present my 65th birthday present I went to Thailand and had bottom surgery and a vaginoplasty. However, the surgeon didn't do the proper job. So I've got to go. I'm waiting for a consultant to agree a date for a, a proper job. What, what do you mean they didn't do a good job or a proper job? At the, at the moment, I, ha- I have a vagina. I have a clitoris but it's only about half an inch deep. It's cosmetic. And when I came to and asked the surgeon, what, how deep would it be? And when do I start dilating? He said, no, 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 cosmetic, cosmetic. And he walked off again. Oh my. <laughs> and I never saw him again after that. Uh, all the all the follow-up was by the nurses taking pictures what's the sensation like the surgery the surgery it was i don't know it's it's hard it feels very nice (laughs) um it doesn't feel any different, really. You know, I, I, I can still have an orgasm. It doesn't feel... Yeah, it, it, it just feels natural. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it, you know, it, 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 I, I am. <laughs> and that's what I'm going to... That's the title of my book, Autobiography, I Am. 
Yes, you are. I am me. <laughs> wow. But, okay. But you are going to get that fixed. Privately. Yeah. And how, how, I mean, you said 10 years in the process, it'll take you a little while to kind of completely, you know, taking all the hormones, seeing all the psychologists, psychiatrists, and making sure that medically everything's all done sound. It can take up to 10 Mm -hmm. years. To see the consultant and to have the remedial work done. And one of my support colleagues, she turned around and said, why? When you're 60, you dry up and you'd lose your sex drive. And and I said, look, for 60 odd years, I've been in the wrong body. I Even if I have sex once properly, one, just the once, every single penny will be worth it. Every single penny of however much it is in total just that wants to feel like a woman, like I, sh- like I should have been 66 years ago, this in two weeks time. <laughs> no, just that once. So have you been, uh, have you been on dates? I've had a few dates. <laughs> on, yeah, it's different. <laughs> It's still, um, shall we say, it's uh, it's still the anal or oral sex, and there is that stimulation sexually downstairs. Um, but it would be nice to have that full, full sensation. And as I say, it's worth every single penny yeah wow you've lived such an amazing period of life where being you were just absolutely a no-go zone and you know even though you've had many many moments where it was very dark and suicide and not wanting to be here anymore really consumed you Mm. how wonderful it is to be able to share your story now with those that might be going through a similar situation Tell me now, how amazing are you? I am. (laughs) That's two words. I am. And that's in scripture. And I'm just starting. Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) And what I would like to say to the girls and the guys out there who are finding it difficult, you can do it. Be persistent. Go with your feeling, your inner feeling. Be who you are because most of us have only got one life. Fortunately, I'm on my second, (laughs) probably third. (laughs) But most of us just have one life. Yes, you're going through difficult times. You might be ostracized by family, friends, work colleagues, but you are an amazing person. You are you, you are unique, and it doesn't matter what other people think. Be you, 
be strong and if you can join a support group we are lesbian we're gay we're bi we're trans we're queer but we are people and we have rights and we want to live our life as we are and you know go sisters and brothers <laughs> i'm sorry i've taken over Amen. That was so well said. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing your story. I feel so inspired by your bravery. And yes, I think you're right. People would say in your 60s, it's, you know, it's a bit harder to make those transitions, but you have been living in such a, a fake life, a fake world for such a long time that to hear right. that you now are finally living and I can feel it in your voice. I can see it through the screen. You are vibing, girl. <laughs> <laughs> this was hosted by my mum, Linda Crisoglu. Stay tuned for next week's episode of People Are Amazing, the podcast. <laughs>